where were you? You were supposed to be his rock. I failed him. No, I can't ask him to forgive me. Who are you looking for? If you've taken him, tell me where he is. Mary. Teacher? Go and tell our brothers. I am here. someone else. You think I'm mad? Peter, see the tomb for yourself. Now, do you believe me? He's gone. Gone? No. He's back. <laughs> I love that line. He's back. Now, that's not exactly what Peter said. But uh, it does capture the essence, the truth about Jesus Christ and who he is. Because Jesus Christ is not a dead teacher. It's not a dead religious leader. It's not a, a dead prophet. He's the Son of God whom the grave could not hold. Amen. This is 2019. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, Jesus really is alive. And once you know that, once you experience that, go ahead, yeah. Once you personally encounter the living Jesus Christ, the true, the real Jesus Christ, it changes things in your life. In this sermon series, Son of God, Who Is He? For the last few weeks, we've been looking at stories in Scripture, in the Gospels, uh, and then depicting them in, in, in those scenes from the movie and learning about who Jesus really is and what are the implications of who He is for you, for me, and uh, for humanity. 
And uh, today we're going to focus on the, the, the message, part of the message of Easter Sunday, the resurrection, that Jesus Christ is the living one. It's not a dead one. He is the living one. Now, the reality is that most of us in this room and most who are watching right now via live stream or television agree with that statement. Jesus really is alive. He's the living one. But not everybody does. There are some people who struggle with it, struggle to believe it. There are others who outright reject it, say it's impossible. But here's something that practically every human being agrees on. We want to know more than we do now about what happens when we die. Practically every human being anywhere on this planet wants to know more about what happens when you take your last breath here on earth. Some of you may have seen the headline that was in newspapers around the world this week. That's just one copy of Any of you see that headline this week? Scientists saying that when you die, you know you're dead. Kind of a scary thought, <laughs> unless you know Jesus. <laughs> that when you die, you know you're dead because your brain keeps working. Now just let that sink in a little bit. We've known for a while, based on uh, uh, different medical tests that neurologists and others do that that the brain continues some degree of functioning for three to five minutes after the heart stops beating. Now think about that. That to some degree, in some way, the brain continues to have activity for up to three to five minutes in many cases once someone's heart has stopped beating. Once someone's declared dead. Um... And this study in Europe and in America looked at patients who were pronounced dead by the physician due to cardiac arrest, heart attacks. And they were, they were actually pronounced dead. But then resuscitated, a heartbeat returned. And, and the research and the study of those cardiac... Now this is not a religious study, this is a medical study that recently reported first in England and then in other places that uh, many of those who came back were able to very accurately, very accurately recount the events that were taking place around them while they were supposedly dead. They, they, could, they could tell the doctors and others what they heard, and it was accurate. They could share with the physicians and others what nurses and doctors in the room did because they, they saw, their eyes were open, they could see. The scientists described it like you're trapped in your body. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? But you know, that's the old ancient philosophies of, of pantheism and panentheism and, and others. It's not the teaching of, of God because you're not trapped in your body. It's interesting. They, uh, they were able to accurately dis describe those things, but they saw what they, they, they heard, some level of consciousness. Now, doctors are interested in this because it informs how they may treat someone that's having cardiac arrest and so on. But all of us as people, we just have this curiosity about us. What, what's, what's on the other side? What happens once I'm dead? When, when the heart no longer is beating, when the, when the brain's no longer functioning in any capacity, what happens on the other side of 
the grave? Is, 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 is it just simply a matter of, of the brain muscle working for three to five minutes? And you're being, that's a scary thought, isn't it? That's all there is. That's really scary. But is there, a, is there consciousness beyond that? Is there awareness beyond that? Is there life beyond that? Jesus very clearly said, there is. Brother Steve, a moment ago, led us in looking at the memory verse at our church for this month from John's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 25. Let's, let's look at that again. Would you say it with me out loud one more time? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me. Jesus said there's life after death. Jesus said there's life after death. In fact, on many occasions, Jesus told his disciples and all of his followers that very thing. And not just his followers, he preached it very publicly so that others heard him and knew what he was saying. That Jesus said there is consciousness, there is existence, there is life beyond what we normally think of as death. In fact, Jesus told his followers and others that, that he would die, that he would be crucified, that he would be executed, that he would be killed, and then after three days he would be raised from the dead. And listen, this is not something Jesus said one time. This is something Jesus said numerous times. It's something he intimated on other occasions. It was very clear, clearly a part of his teaching and preaching that, that not only was there life beyond the grave, but that he would be crucified, he would be buried, and three days later, Jesus said that he would rise from the dead. One example of that is, is, is in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, the Son of Man. This is Jesus speaking about himself in the very first sermon in this series. We talked about what it means to be the Son of Man, a way of Jesus referring to himself both as human and divine. And so the Son of Man must suffer many things, notice that, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. He's still rejected by many today, by some of you in this room, and be killed. And the truth is, each and every one of us killed him because it was our sin that nailed him to the cross. And be raised up the third day. On several occasions, Jesus said things very, very similar to that. And even his enemies, his opponents, knew that. In fact, in Matthew 27, when Jesus had been crucified, on that Friday and late that evening, they buried him in that tomb and rolled the stone against it. The religious leaders of Judaism, though not all of them, but those who had, who had conspired to have Jesus executed, actually went to Pilate, the Roman, the Roman leader, the Roman ruler, if you will, of that part of the world, and, and said to Pilate, and here, here's these enemies of Jesus, these opponents of Jesus who wanted him dead. They go to the Roman, the Roman ruler, Pilate, and they say, Listen, this Jesus, this, this, this fraud... When he was alive, he preached, he told people that he was going to die, but after three days he would be raised from the dead. And we're worried that his followers will go and steal his body, and then they will, they will, they will uh, uh, put a hoax out on everybody and say that, hey, he, he, he came back from the dead because his body's missing. So here's what we'd like for you Romans to do. We'd like for you to send soldiers to guard the tomb until more than three days have passed. And, and put the Roman seal upon it 
so that it's a crime punishable by death if anybody breaks that seal. So Pilate, they, they sent the soldiers and they guarded the tomb. And they put the seal upon it so that the followers of Jesus could not come and uh, steal the body and, 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 and carry out a hoax on the public, if you will. But it didn't work. It didn't work. The grave couldn't stop God. Roman soldiers couldn't stop him. Nothing could. And by the way, if it was just a hoax, all those soldiers had to do was stand up and give testimony and Christianity would have been squelched from the very beginning because the followers of Jesus did not believe what he said about the resurrection before it happened. They were hiding. They were afraid. They were scared. They had no confidence in Jesus' teaching about the resurrection. And so if the soldiers were there and he'd stayed in that tomb, they weren't going to go and steal his body. They didn't have the courage to do that, and it would have been easily squelched by the Roman authorities. But they couldn't squelch it because you can't forever squelch the truth. Jesus' followers struggled to believe what he had said. If you have your Bible, look in the Gospel of Luke with me. I've got the reference on the screen, but not the verses. I want you to open your Bible, whether you have a written copy or an electronic copy. Look with me in Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 1. Let's read one of the various accounts found in the Gospels. We'll read this one about that Easter Sunday morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. You ready? It says, But on the first day of the week, for them that was Sunday, not Monday, at early dawn they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now, who's the they? Well, from the end of the previous chapter and later in this chapter and the other Gospels, we learn it was a group of women. In fact, it was a rather large group. We know that Mary Magdalene was one of the women, Mary the mother of James, Joanna, Salome, and then other women. So you know how ladies often you like to do things in groups? There was a group of them. <laughs> don't know how many. Seven, ten, we don't know. There was a group. Now what's, what's, you know, guys, what's interesting, the guys were all chicken. They were hiding. Here's this group of women, though. They go to the tomb. It's early. And what's the significance of them taking spices? Spices they had prepared to anoint Jesus' body, which they had not been able to do previously because the Sabbath had started on Friday evening when Jesus was buried, and it was against the religious customs to do any activity like that on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath has ended. It's that early Sunday morning, and they're going to prepare his body. Guess what? They were expecting to find a corpse. They weren't looking for an empty tomb. They were not looking for a resurrected Savior. They were convinced they'd find a corpse that needed preparing in their custom. But when they showed up, they found something different. 
Verses 2 and 3, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. That surprised them. Then in verse 3, they entered and did not find the body of the Lord. They didn't find what they were expecting. And so their response, their reaction was kind of natural. In verse 4, they were perplexed. They were confused. The very fact that they were so confused points to the fact they had not remembered, had not understood, had not believed anything Jesus had previously said about what would happen to him. And they weren't the only ones. Peter, James, and John didn't believe it either because where were they? Hiding in the house somewhere. So they were all skeptical. And then suddenly... And uh, the end of uh, verse 4, two men. It's interesting. Sometimes in Scripture, angels are referred to as men. Here's these two angels, angelic beings, suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel, and the women were terrified, bowed their heads to the ground. I get that. I probably do the same. And these men, these angels, these, these heavenly beings said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? I, that's my favorite phrase in this whole passage. Why do you seek the living one? among the dead. And here, brothers and sisters, this becomes the turning point in human history. Because before this moment, nobody outside of Jesus and those in heaven believed any of this was possible. Here's the turning point. Here's the, the hinge moment in human history. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. And remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Remember all those times he told you this was going to happen? Suddenly, suddenly, suddenly in verse 8, they remembered, they got it, they believed it, they understood it, and they returned from the tomb and reported all, the, all that they had seen, all they had experienced to the eleven. And, and then one by one, the stories continue of, of the other followers having encounters with this living one, not the dead one, and suddenly they were no longer cowards. No longer doubters. But this band of peasants with no status and no power became so convinced of what they had experienced when they encountered the living Jesus, they changed all of human history. That's not a hoax. They came expecting to find a corpse, but they found a risen Lord. And here's the thing, for them, in that moment, Jesus' teaching became more than words. And Jesus himself became more than just a rabbi, a teacher. And until Jesus' words become more than just words in your life, you'll remain stuck in your spiritual journey 
until Jesus is just a figure in history, as long as that's it, until he becomes more. Your spiritual journey won't be more until his words become real and he becomes real. And you experience not just a religious figure and not just some good words, but you encounter the living one, the living one. That hymn we sang earlier this morning, he lives. Where does he live? In here, until he lives in you, you'll never get it. Once he lives in you, for sure, you'll never be the same. He's the living one. About five and a half years ago, Rick Warren, who's many of you are familiar with, the pastor at Saddleback Church out in California, one of the largest churches in this country, author of The Purpose Driven Life, which I know at one point had sold more copies than any other nonfiction book. I think about 30 million copies have been sold. Phenomenal. But about five and a half years ago, his 27-year-old son Matthew committed suicide. Matthew, his whole life had battled mental illness. Deep, dark moments of depression with suicidal thoughts. They got him the best help. He had he was a great kid. And one evening he's actually with Rick and Kay at their home. They had a they had a family gathering. Everybody was happy. And Matthew goes back and and, and if you if you if you dealt with people in your own life who battle mental illness and depression, you know that suddenly in just a, a quick moment a deep dark hole can just open up in front of them. If, you, if you've not dealt with people, you may not grasp this, but that's how it works sometimes. Later that evening, he took his life. And I remember when that happened, watching Rick and Kay on television, not just his sermon, but when he's being interviewed, Anderson Cooper on, you know, on CNN and others. I remember watching them being interviewed and just being blown away by their authenticity by their openness, by their humility, and, 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 and by the way they represented Jesus Christ. They did it brilliantly. I just remember being very, very impressed. About a year after all of that, he was uh, being interviewed again, and Rick Warren was asked how, how he made it, how... Have you kept going in your pain? And I want to share with you as close as I can to what he said. Here's, what, here's, here's Rick Warren's answer. He said, here's how I replied. He said, the answer is Easter. You see, and listen to this. The death, burial, and resurrection of, of, of Jesus happened over three days. Friday was the day of suffering and agony and pain. Saturday was the day of sadness and confusion and misery. But Easter, that Sunday, was the day of hope and joy and victory. And then Rick Warren added, here's the fact of life. Now listen to this. He said, here's the fact of life. 
you will face these three days over and over and over in your lifetime. And when you do, you will find yourself asking, as I did, three fundamental questions. Number one, what do I do in the days of pain? Number two, how do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? And number three, how do I get to the days of joy and victory? He said the answer is Easter. The answer is Easter. Because without this, you're left with the pain. The agony, the confusion, the misery without hope, without joy, without celebration, without victory. And there's not a more miserable place than that, brothers and sisters. As I said, things will change for you when Jesus is more than just a story, when his teaching is more than just Words, when you finally encounter the living one, the living one, the living one personally, why, why, as the angel asked the women, why do you seek the living one among the dead? Because Jesus is the living one, he's unique. Because Jesus is the living one, you and I can live beyond this life. Not as part of some energy mass, energy force. Not, not as some spirit that's kind of ambiguously absorbed into some being out there. God created us with individuality. We live on this planet with individuality. We exist beyond this planet with individuality. Not part of an energy force. You're a person. You have personhood. God created you that way. You will always have personhood, just as God does. Notice our memory verse again, John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I. It's a pronoun. And he, her, the one who believes in me will live even if he dies. It's a pronoun. It's personal. You're not, you're not just absorbed. You're an individual. And because Jesus, the Son of God, this person conquered the grave and rose from the dead, you as a person are not limited to this life and not limited to the grave and will not be absorbed into something ambiguous, but you are you and you always will be. Anthony Berger played piano for a number of years for the Gaither Band, the Bill Gaither Vocal Band. Very talented. Back in 2006, they, the Gaither vocal band did one of these Christian cruises down in the, the Mediterranean, you know, not in the Mediterranean, but the Caribbean rather. 
And uh, you know, so, so there were about 1,500 people here. You had, you had them as singers, and you had these Christian teachers. It was just a, you know, it was a Christian cruise. On the fourth night of the cruise, they were having a concert, and <clears throat> Anthony Berger did a, a piano solo. And uh, after he finished the solo and the people applauded, they continued with some vocals singing. But he just uh, slumped over to piano and died of a massive heart attack. He was 44 years old. The next morning, there was a woman who was in the audience that night, very mild-mannered, unassuming, not a publicity seeker. Shared with one of the teachers what she had seen happen that day. He died. She said when Anthony finished playing the solo, the spotlight moved to another part of the stage and the concert continued. But for some reason, I just kept my eyes on him. I felt like God was prompting me just to, to look at him, that I was going to experience something. I just looked at him. I had this strange feeling. And she said, suddenly, I saw an angel standing beside him, about seven feet tall, wearing white and gold. He stood there for about 30 seconds, after which he reached his hand out and touched Anthony on the shoulder. Anthony looked up at him and then folded away. The angels left heaven for Jesus' tomb that Easter. And Jesus said it was the angels who carried the bagger in Luke 16 to Abraham's bosom to paradise. This woman said it was, God gave her a glimpse into that realm. It was an angel who touched him. There are things you will never see without the eyes of faith. And the one who never sees those things That's the one for whom we grieve. For Scripture says regarding the dead, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, guess what? <laughs> We're going to be with him. See, that's not the end. It's just the door. And you don't walk through it by yourself. He did not. I will not. You will not if you have Christ, but it all comes back to what Jesus said in John eleven twenty five. He who believes in me. Now you can be a skeptic. You can be a doubter. You can be someone who outright rejects. But you don't have to be. And it's so much better when you finally know the real Lord, the 
wisdom. So let me ask you, do you really know him? Do you really know him? If you do, say amen. I want us to stand and sing. And I'm inviting those of you who would like to get to know the real Jesus, the living Jesus, the personal Jesus, the Son of God Jesus, the Son of Man Jesus, the living one, to come to one of these pastors and say, Today, I'm, I, I, I give up doubting. And today I believe. Today is more than just a, a nice religious thought. Today is something real in my life. I want that Christ. I want that Jesus in me. I want a relationship with him. I want to encounter that Jesus who got out of the grave that Easter morning. We have people who will lead you in prayer as you give your life to Christ. Not just a little prayer, but I'm talking about surrendering your heart and your soul and your life to Jesus Christ. Meeting the real Jesus. You come when we sing this. Come to one of these pastors and say, that's what I want to do. And give your heart to Jesus and be saved today. Come and ask for baptism. Come and pray at this altar. Come and join First Baptist Church. Whatever God is speaking to your heart about, you need to obey Him and do it right now as we sing together. Let's sing and you come. <laughs>